And we're live, although we're not because this is pre-recorded. This is the worst setup for a podcast. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. That took 20 minutes to set up this podcast. We tried fucking everything. And we're I'm sorry it was one F-bomb, but it's, it's we are tired. I, I don't it care. Was, I'll yeah. throw an explicit tag on. It's fine. I don't care. All right. So, we tried Skype, we tried Discord, we tried StreamYard. Yeah, this is Live and Let's Discuss Episode 3, where we talk about Goldfinger, which is, dare I say it, the gold standard of Bond films. Indeed. I don't know if it warrants that title, but we'll get into that. So, Goldfinger was the seventh Fleming Bond book. It's the third Fleming. It's the third Bond film. Yeah. Um, is this the last one that Fleming was alive for? I think he was alive for some parts of it. I don't know if he ever saw some of it. Let me double check the date because Goldfinger came out nineteen sixty four. And let me check. Fleming. Yeah, died August 1964. Okay. So it's possible he saw some of the filming. Yeah. Possible. Because I know he wasn't alive for Thunderball, which is probably for the best. We'll get, mm. to, we'll get to that next month. But, um, yeah, Goldfinger's an interesting one because it's sort of, in both the novel and the film, it's not, there isn't this overarching, like, villain from other films or other stories in it yeah yeah to some degree there's a little little smash talk in the in the book yes but it's very forgettable yeah like it it, doesn't really matter yeah um yeah goldfinger's not part of specter in the film yes which is great because we just had you know dr no from russia with love Mm-hmm. Both had Spectre in it, setting up this organization, and this is completely standalone. Yes, and I think that's why a lot of people like this film. Um, oh, yeah. This is a kind of a blessing and a curse of a of a f- the film. Uh, this is, of course, what people tend to think of when they think of James Bond. Yeah. Uh, which it, it really sets up the womanizing and Bond girls dying. The first one that Um, really starts doing that. Well, because the book, the book's very violent towards women. That's one of the things that's kind of disturbing. There's a lot of disturbing things in the book. Um, that... It, it's dated. This is like one of those ones where I, I, I put this caveat when, when you go into Fleming books. They're incredibly misogynistic. They're incredibly racist uh, to, to for today's standards. And it's just... You get both of that in this. Um, odd job yeah, eats I, a cat. I would say it's it's the worst with Goldfinger because of one subplot in the book. Oh yeah, and it's bad for the LGBTQ plus community. I I don't even think of it like with today's like or political correctness and everything. I'm just confused why it is in there. Like it, I really don't get it. Yeah, but, it uh, doesn't yeah. fit. That's the that's the flaw of the book. Well, um, do you want to give a summary of what this is about? Oh, that's very, very simple. Uh, James Bond is sent to investigate what a man called Ulrich Goldfinger is doing. He's apparently doing some gold smuggling. Mm -hmm. And this leads Bond to discover Goldfinger's bigger plan, which is, well, it's different in the book and the film. He wants to go to Fort Knox. And that's where book and film differ, because in the book, he wants to steal the gold in Fort Knox. In the film, he wants to, you know, blow it up. Yes. 
so that his gold will, um, like, was it? Uh, we like, become more, you know. It, it'll be, it'll double in value, but it's more than double. It's like eight. It'll become eight times its value or something. Yeah, like that. And this and this um, plot, you know, this bad guy wants to destroy X so that his own X becomes more valuable. Will show up in many future Bond films, like. A View to a Kill or The World is Not Enough, for example. Yeah, um, and it works the best in this. Oh, yeah. Um, because it's played straight. Whereas, like, definitely in The World is Not Enough, because that movie's stupid. Um, but also in A View to a Kill. It, a View to a Kill feels like a parody of Goldfinger. In a lot of ways, yes. It's... It also ages worse. Oh, yeah. I, I'm dreading when we have to watch that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Roger Moore and his facelift that made him look older. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but that's a, like, a, a year ahead of us at this point. <laughs> um, the... I want I want to point out some things in this because I did not care for this watch through of the film. Ooh, hot uh, take. I, yes, I'm not saying it's bad. Hmm. It's not my favorite Connery Bond film. Yeah, also not my favorite. I, I prefer From Russia with Love over this. Same. It it. And this is why we're getting into the budgets getting bigger, so everything's going to be grander. Yes, it's which can be good and can be fun and great. Mm-hmm. And I would say this succeeds more than some of the later entries. Yeah, it's it's. But yeah, you are missing some of the more grounded spy stories, like the first two were. Yeah, it's it's very different. Granted, it's better than. I, I'm glad this was here and we didn't have the transition from From Russia With Love to Thunderball immediately. Oh, yes, because it would be like three times Spectre in a row, which it, would be like, uh, I don't know. It'd be too much. But um, there, there's no chemistry with with Bond and any of the Bond girls in this. There's none. Yeah, I mean, Connery is charming and great, like, yeah. previously, but... Yeah. I mean, it, it, it comes, Honor, it comes... I mean, Honor Blackman as Pussy Galore is great yeah. in and of itself, but there's something there that just doesn't click with me. And, and, and I, I think I have an answer for this. Mm-hmm. All of the Bond interests, with the exception of um, Jill Masterton, they don't work in the book either. Yeah. Um, Well, first of all, Pussy Galore is barely a character in the book. No, she shows up in the last 80 pages. I I call it She Pulls a Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's a good phrase. (laughs) Uh, She shows up... Very much at the end, and she is clearly not attracted to men. And her whole, yes. her whole uh, gang, she's a gang leader in the book. Because Goldfinger's whole plan in the book is he gets all these gangs together to help him uh, rob Fort Knox. Which they kind of do in the movie, but they throw a twist, which is neat. It's one of the pluses of the movie. Yep. Um, and and also to point out, so in the book she leads like a lesbian New Yorker street gang. Yes, and they are they are helping Goldfinger, and I think they are supposed to be like dressed as like nurses and stuff. In yes, Fortnite. they're they're dressed. They're all all the gang members are dressed as a medical staff for like an emergency because they put a weird sleeping thing in the water that's going to actually kill them. Right, and Pussy Galore in the movie is a pilot, mm-hmm. and so are all her ladies. She's like, you know, they're her instructor. Yeah, and 
it worked fine for that. But also, um, Tilly Masterton, which is the other Bond girl. There's there's kind of three of them, but they're they're barely in the movie. Tilly's in there the most, and she's just killed. Uh, where, Honestly, where Tilly? And this, oh. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, Tilly had a, had a bigger role in the book, but honestly, I think that's a plus for the movie. Kind yeah, of. well, well, because I'm trying to think of the time. Two of these three <laughs> Bond love interests, which Tilly really isn't. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he thinks she's hot, but she has no desire to be with him because she doesn't like men, and they they weren't going to put any sort of lesbian dynamic. In there they 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 go for it at hair and they don't commit to it whatsoever yeah and that that's frustrating there's a few things that they they decided because this is the first this is when the films kind of begin to stop being adaptations of the book it's right here in a sense, yes. yes. When when a lot of details start getting just dumped out in, in favor of bigger set pieces, and and we're 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 crapping on Goldfinger quite a bit, and it is a great movie. And I honestly, I'm gonna say, I think this film is better than the book. I disagree. Honestly. Yeah, I know you would disagree. I I I, I uh, right before this, I'm like. We're going to have to have a talk because I, there are elements of Goldfinger that I think is uh, some of Ian Fleming's best writing he ever did. And it comes into that golf game. Oh yeah. That's great. It it is hearkening back to Casino Royale. We'll talk about this in a a couple years. (laughs) That's right. But I don't care about Baccarat. I don't care whatsoever, and that's what they're playing in Casino Royale. But Fleming has writes it in a way that you care about it. Mm-hmm. He does the same thing about golf, which I find to be a joke sport. <laughs> and I was yep. so engaged in the golf game between Goldfinger and Bond. It's the best yeah, part and of the like book. It's like thirty pages, only the golf scene. Uh huh. And you it's learn amazing. how to play golf, and you are engaged the whole time. And then oh, yeah. afterwards, Bond gets invited to uh, Goldfinger's house, then like starts spying on things that he gets caught on camera, so he blames it on the cat, and then Goldfinger feeds the cat to Oddjob, which is horribly offensive. Oddjob's it's Korean. also really, really funny. We should also mention it's not- Oddjob... I, I think it's funny in a twisted sense. But... I, I, I love cats too much for that. <laughs> I, right. I kind of cried a little bit. <laughs> but we should point out, Oddjob in the film and the book is actually quite similar. Yes. Which might surprise people when we say, oh, the books are much more like grounded and realistic and some some more gritty. No, Oddjob also has this hat. He has the hat. <laughs> He's more physical in the book, which would have been really cool to see in the film. But what we got, we, we also get to something that drove me nuts when I was, like, really into martial arts, which is Sean Connery is one of the best fighters in all out of all the Bonds. He has a mm. black belt in karate, and I think he has a judo background, too, but don't quote me on that. I mean, mm. he trained with Steven Seagal, and Steven Seagal broke his wrist, but we'll, we'll get to that when the eventual eventuality will do uh, never say never again. Oh, because <laughs> that happened before that film came out. But um, the fight choreography in Connery's films, with the exception of From Russia with Love, where that was like a legitimate fight to the death brawl and felt real. Mm-hmm. They all feel terrible. They are terribly choreographed. Because, I mean, Connery's fighting with this guy in the beginning in Mexico and he throws him into a bathtub and electrocutes him. Oh yeah, which is played for jokes. Yeah, and I think many for... people would overlook this because the action scenes, while not choreographed great, they seem to go for like a funny thing. You but... know, like with this fight with the guy he throws in the bathtub and then he, you know, 
throws a lamp in and electrocutes him and makes a quip about it, which makes people like, oh, yeah, it was a great action scene. But the thing is, there... There's, it was a thing in the 50s and 60s to speed up the film to make things look good. Oh, because the way oh, they yeah. punch would break your hands. Oh, the speed up stuff was really notice- noticeable. Especially at the beginning when he's like in the water, like disguised. He has a, what was it, a duck mm-hmm. on his head? Yes. And then he removes it and it's so sped up for no reason. You know what also sped up? When he, what? when Bond and Pussy Galore are throwing each other, oh yeah, the, because that that's how you court a lady. You, th- yeah. you use a judo throw on her. But to be fair, she threw him first, mm-hmm. and they just started throwing each other. And then literally, it cuts to her. She was tossed by a significantly larger man <laughs> or two men into a pile, so she'd fall neatly into the pile of hay. <laughs> There was yeah. there was some weird editing. I, I I've noticed that on when we've been doing these watch along, not watch alongs, but these rewatches, there are there's funky editing and funky dubbing in these movies. Yes, especially dubbing. Um, dubbing Goldfinger. We can change the subject. Talking about dubbing about the main villain. Yeah, Auric Goldfinger, played by German actor Gerd Fröbe, who is dubbed almost the whole way through because I'm pretty sure there were a couple of scenes where he actually spoke. Like, for example, um, his scene with the American criminals in his, you know, hideout. There is one scene where he just starts screaming like, what was his talk? You know, man has has climbed Mount Everest, has gone to the bottom of the ocean, all this stuff, but we have never done great stuff with, like in the criminal world. Mm-hmm. And he starts screaming it, and it, like the audio drops. It's clearly not the same. Like you can clearly hear it's dubbed over. Mm-hmm. The whole previous conversation. I mean, them dismantling the car scene—that was the worst. It didn't match up. Period. Like we were talking about that at, at like the Spectre training facility. How the dub was wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, and from Russia with love. This, it happens quite a bit. Weird dubbing, weird blue screen. Yes, and that goes into another thing. The locations here. So we start out in Miami, Mm -hmm. like after the pre-credits. Yeah, we start out in Mexico. And the only reason you even know it's Mexico is if you've read the book. Yep. In the book, uh, Bond has a nasty fight that he's reflecting on in the airport. And I want to bring this up because the setups for these two plots differ. Oh, yeah. Because um, the one in the book is a great. It has a great callback to a it, previous story. To Casino Royale, which they didn't have the rights to, so they weren't... <laughs> and it was one of the people at the table when uh, Bonds uh, wins against Le Chiffre. Um yeah, Mr. DuPont. That's right. It is Mr. DuPont. Um, and uh, Bond does this thing for a favor, and because Mr. DuPont is being is losing all this money to Goldfinger. And that's how that's set up. In the movie, it's Felix Leiter has a message from M to Bond. Yes, I can understand why they changed it, especially considering they didn't have the rights. Because in the book, it's very much like random, like coincidence that Mr. DuPont is talking about to Bond uh, about Goldfinger. And later when Bond returns... To London, M tells him, oh yeah, you have to investigate Goldfinger. Also, um, Felix Leiter aged 20 years in two years, oh, because the, this is the first this... time they recast Felix Leiter. And it's... Remember how much, I, how much I gushed about how great uh, Jack Lord was? Yeah, in you Doctor won Note. me over on that one. Yeah, because he's so cool, and you buy him as, like, Bond's um, American friend. Yeah. Felix in this one is an old grandpa. He's a very, he's a very chipper on one. <laughs> he, he is a chipper Felix. Boy, oh boy. Yeah. And I think this was, like, done on purpose to make Bond look even cooler. Yeah. He, I will say, he's not the worst Felix Leiter. Oh, no, 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 no. He's we not get to the worst. living daylights Felix Leiter. Yeah. That guy. 
<laughs> I don't even think that guy was an actor. <laughs> I love how we didn't even, I don't think we ever talked about who we think is the worst Felix, but we do agree now. It's the one in Living Daylights. I, that was a gamble, but I, I assume so. It's the one thing I hate about Living Daylights, but yeah, we'll, we'll get into that that wonderful movie a, yeah. a while this... from now. Yeah, but this started the trend of just recasting Felix. Yeah. There's only been, like, two actors that have played Felix more than once. Yeah, the guy from Live and Let Die and License to Kill. And, of course, Jeffrey Wright in the um, Daniel Craig ones. In the reboot, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm trying to think of where we were going. There's just, I don't know. The, oh, the stuff in Miami. So yeah, uh, the projection and stuff. Like, okay, at first you can tell they filmed stuff at this hotel in Miami. And I'm pretty sure Felix Leiter, who's walking around, was the only actor who was actually in Miami. Yes. Everything else was shot on a soundstage and then, you know, just put his background in. And- you can clearly see it with Connery and with Goldfinger. Yeah, it looks wrong. Especially in HD, let alone I, I'm watching a 4K restoration. And yeah, and, it we, looks sh- and we should funky. mention something like this can happen, like at the end of From Russia with Love, when they are in yes. Venice. And that like was a very all projected. Yeah, it was a very common thing to do at the end of a film. It was also common to expand it out into full widescreen at the time. So certain things in older movies will look wonky because of that. Um, also, I wanted to point something out because I don't know if I pointed it out in the previous two episodes we've done. These movies are in a weird, not quite 16 by 9 aspect ratio because of the <laughs> film stock they use. So you get these teeny tiny black bars around the whole screen. And I, th- I have a feeling because Thunderball was done on a different film stock because they had to redo the gun barrel that Thunderball will fit on my TV fine. Hmm. But this one, I because I think I said in our From Russia with Love review that, that Goldfinger was the first time Sean Connery did the gun barrel. That's not true. It's a stunt double still from when they filmed it yeah. for Dr. No. Um, he does it in... Uh, I actually looked it up. It's the first time's Thunderball. All right. So he That's only did a, his own gun barrel three times. Yeah, Thunderball, You Only Live Twice, and Diamonds. Yeah, because there's no gun barrel and Never Say Never Again. Because they didn't no. have the... Uh, they didn't have any rights. To that. Um... But, okay, but speaking of the whole Miami thing, this brings me to my next point. Compared to the previous films, by which we should mention, by the way, we have another director here, which you can tell. Yes. The previous two were directed by Terence Young, who would also return for Thunderball. And this one is the first of four James Bond films directed by Guy Hamilton. And yeah, this is they would, definitely his best. They would bring him in when they needed to fresh things up. Is what it seemed like. They were like, we need a refresh. And it didn't always work. <laughs> I mean, diamonds are forever. Yes. This this masterpiece. Um yeah, it, it's interesting. It's an interesting film. Um, but like this is what like my mother thinks of when she thinks of a James Bond film and she thinks of all the, the negativity towards women. And this is the first one that really gets into that. Mm. Just killing all the women. My mom my mom hates these films with a passion. <laughs> She when when Casino Royale, I'll, I'll talk about this in more detail when we review Casino Royale. She sent me out of the room when the interrogation scene happened. <laughs> I was twelve. I I had watched far worse things than that at that point, but she didn't care. She was mad that this was happening. <laughs> she sent me out of yeah. the room. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but yeah, no, she she hates this franchise with a passion. Also, she thinks of License to Kill. She hates License to Kill. Oh, because it's ho- horribly graphic, uh, 
violent film. It was the only one she ever saw in the theater. And all I can think of is like Lucky. Oh, I see License yeah. to Kill the Theater. No, they will never do that. You know, like uh, we keep getting off topic, but you know, I, I we watched Empire Strikes Back. I saw it for the thir- first time in the theater. They did this re-release for its 40th anniversary, and I saw mm. it for like the the two weeks that America was open from during COVID for uh, theaters. I saw it in those two weeks, and it was wonderful. And, like now I'm thinking about it, I'm like, we'll never get license to kill theatrical re-release. It would be so great, like a double feature, Living Daylights License to Kill. They would never really do most of these Bond films as a re-release. You know what they do? What? They would do no time to die. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The the teach us all a lesson. They'll have that when when the theaters open up again. They'll have that for five years. Oh god! But to get back on topic, um, uh, talking about the Bond girls in here, mm-hmm. um, a big difference, and like I said, I think it's better in the film. Um, we have the sisters Jill and Tilly, right? And mm-hmm. Jill is the one who gets killed first. Goldfinger's yes, assistance gets... that Bond flirts with and has a thing with. Yeah, the my favorite of the three of them, uh, yeah, because so they it, they have the chemistry. They have oh the yeah, best. I would say. Yeah. So in the book, it's a little bit different because, so this whole thing with the card game and she helps Goldfinger cheating. That's that's the same in the film, but afterwards Bond takes her with to London, I think. On a train. No, he takes her upstate and she doesn't go with him to England. All right, all right. But, yeah, but whatever. Um, then, only way later in the story, when he already met her sister, Tilly, when she's trying to assassinate Goldfinger in his factory, only then does Bond learn that Jill was killed by gold paint. And in the yes. movie, they changed it that he directly sees it which i I think works better yes uh well they both work for their respective mediums because Mm -hmm. you read uh what was it trigger mortis which is the the sequel direct sequel book to goldfinger yes i did um there's gold paint stuff in that too right yes and i wasn't a big fan of that scene where it happens Okay. Um, the whole thing with the Goldfinger paint thing is it's creepy in the book. In like, the book, it's directly a sex thing for Goldfinger himself. Yes. Because we couldn't have another asexual villain like we did in From Russia with Love. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he. Ian Fleming finds a. Almost, I would almost say Stephen King-esque thing to put in his book. Oh. Um, I don't remember where I was going with this. I I don't know. The the gold... Okay, here's what my, my problem with the gold paint in the film. This has bothered mm-hmm. me for a very long time. How did Oddjob put her there? You mean on the bed or... Uh, yeah, how, how did she, he put her on the bed? There is no smears of paint on those sheets. I mean... That's... that's that job is a talented artist, I would say. <laughs> he, he, no, he probably did that karate stuff that he was doing that, um... Uh, oh, God, I, I, need, I, need, I need to put my little rant in here. I, I really like... Ian Fleming does a lot of research... It's not entirely his fault because this was written in the 50s and karate wasn't well known. But he says the karate originated in China. Mm. Karate originated in Okinawa, which is an island in Japan. It's a Japanese martial art. No. Um, the, that, that made me cry internally. So now I have to fact check every time Ian Fleming goes into like a history thing. It, it, it just requires more work when yeah. reading his books. Um, but 
he probably did some like karate stuff and like threw her on the bed and the paint like flew off and then flew back on her. That's obviously what, how that would work. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. Anyway, go, you can go continue with your, um, yeah. Uh, with the woman, let's say, uh, let's see. So Jill, I, Jill, I think is better here with how she dies. That's fine. Her sister, Tilly, that's the thing. I think it's better in the film that Tilly dies earlier in the story because in the book she just hangs around Does captured she... alongside Bond in like Goldfinger's place yeah, for no apparent reason and then she dies later on when she tries to escape from Bond because she's sure like oh pussy will protect her which is just like Fleming's commentary like, so she leaves Bond, this toxic masculine guy, and she wants to go to Pussy because Pussy will protect her house subtle, and then Oddjob kills her. Yeah, um, Tilly's useless and, in both. Just yeah. absolutely useless. It was so frustrating with her in uh, the book because she's around longer. In the movie, she, the only the only positive thing about Tilly is that she drives a Mustang. She drives my favorite year of Mustang vehicles. So I, I kind of cry a little bit when Bond rips up the side of that Mustang. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's something to mention. In the book, he just, like, he just crashes into her. Yeah, well, but because the film, he doesn't... he has the Aston Martin with all the gadgets. We didn't even talk about Q Branch. This is the first time Q Branch shows up in the films. Yeah, second appearance of Desmond Llewellyn as Q. But this time in a bigger role in his own little laboratory this is when we get to see this is like the classic stuff also and i don't like that they did this in the movie mm-hmm. so he's in the book it is clear the bentley is bond's car that, yes that is, he's had two bentleys because in moonraker the first one gets totaled beyond repair and he ends up buying another one with um the money he wins off of Drax, but we'll get to that when we talk about Moonraker next year. <laughs> um, but so he's had two Bentleys at this point, and then in the movie they decide, oh, the Bentley's a property of England. He's now getting assigned an Aston Martin, which he gets assigned an Aston Martin in the book, and it's part of his cover. He gets a DB three, which was an old car at that point when they made the mm-hmm. film. So he gets a DB five. Um, and it's all tricked out with gadgets. Like it's got an ejector seat and it's got like smoke and it's got a saw that he cuts a Mustang basically in half with, which they reference in uh, living daylights. Only it's a laser beam. Oh yeah. Which I didn't think of that. Until this watch, uh, rewatch, um, and it's it's the first like tricked out Bond car. It's not the most ridiculous. It doesn't go no, underwater. The most ridiculous Bond car is in Die Another Day. I don't know. Oh. Um, because we have the submarine car in spite of me. Oh, that's a discussion for another day. But I would say the submarine car is useful. Why would but why would you ever need an invisible car in like Iceland? Oh, you leave like tracks in the snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh man, both those cars are ugly too. In, yeah. in general. Um. Anyway. Uh I you know I almost bought him that same year of Mustang Noah as my first car, mm. uh, but the one I looked at it had a vinyl top, and I live in a wo- I lived in a wooded area that uh, had pine trees that dropped a ton of sap, so that vinyl top would have been ruined, <laughs> and uh, it also was all crooked because it had been in an accident. <laughs> And I was like, I can't fix that. I can't buy this. But yeah, 
Uh, she gets killed with the bowler hat. Um, I do want to yeah. bring up something is that the actor who played odd job got horribly injured making this film because he genuinely got electrocuted. Really? Yeah. In the scene at the end? Uh-huh. And he held oh. on to keep the, the thing going. He got burned. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Talk about being dedicated to your craft. But I would say it was worth it because Oddjob is really awesome in this film. Yeah. Like, I really like him. I like that Bond does some terrible martial arts on him and Oddjob just throws him around. The end fight is so great because Oddjob is just... He looks so happy. He's yeah. just such a happy small guy. He's having a good time. And he is... When he does, like, this hand move to Bond, like, okay, come on, continue. And the thing, the thing is, so we we haven't really discussed how tall Sean Connery is, but like it's very clear in this film he towers over everyone because he was like six foot three, mm-hmm. and it, it's he, it's uh, amusing to see Odd Job, who's like half his height, just tossing him around because it reminded me a lot of when Roger Moore would fight Jaws. Oh yeah, they're just choreographed similarly. Hmm. Only it's more frustrating in certain regards with Sean Connery because he can fight, whereas uh, Roger Moore just pretended like he could fight. Oh, so true. (laughs) Yeah, I won't get into that. Um, But at least with that fight, it's not sped up. No. I would say this end fight is really great. Yeah, it's grounded. It's more grounded than anything else, really, in this film. Yeah. Um, But then you have... And this is an element I found weird, both in the book and in here. Felix and the Americans, like, they know about what Goldfinger is about to do, and they all pretend to be dead, basically. Yes. I don't know... If I like this too much, because it's more convincing in the book, and but not by much. Yeah, um, I will say this when it comes to that thing, it feels dated. It feels mm. like. Uh, have you ever seen the film Invasion USA with Chuck Norris? I saw it when they discussed it on Best of the Worst. Okay. Well, there's a scene when it's at the end when Steven Seagal's destroying the office that has, like, no people in it. Yeah. Because they're all outside, and all the most of the terrorists run outside, and just the entire United States Army's out there, and there's a huge gun battle that ensues. <laughs> That's what the end of A Goldfinger felt like. Like sp- did you did you find it great when Goldfinger removed his like trench coat and he wore like an American uniform on it? It seemed really yeah, I dug that. And then he like tricks some people and shoots them. <laughs> Even though good. he's carrying a gold gun around. Well, I guess we know who the true man with the golden gun was. <laughs> Which uh, oh, we haven't we didn't talk about the opening credits. This is the first opening credits. With the title song in there. Yeah. And I like this evolution of the Bond title songs from Dr. No up to this one. And this would stay for all the rest of the Bond series. Actually, it wouldn't. Honor oh. Majesties doesn't have that. Oh, right. That's only instrumental. That's true. Yeah. Um, can, can I, I... This is not my favorite Shirley Bassey song which one is it which one is my favorite yeah diamonds oh i love diamonds it's the only thing i love about that movie (laughs) that's that's okay that's fair i it's goldfinger's fine it's not the worst by any stretch of the imagination oh no it set the trend and everything i would also say it's not my favorite bond song i would honestly I don't know, I think I'm in the minority here, but I prefer Tom Jones' Thunderball. For for the 60s, yeah. I, I can see that. Actually, I, I don't know. I prefer Johnny Cash's Thunderball. 
Oh yeah, that's great, but it, that feels like a western. Yeah, I didn't even know that existed until you brought that up to me. It's it's awesome. I wish they went with it because that would be so hilarious. It's better it today. than the original version of Mister Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Hmm. Which Shirley Bassey does a cover of it. Oh yeah, and yeah, it's she did. so much better than the original. <laughs> Um, and I was like, wow, why didn't they go with this? And then I realized, oh, because Shirley Bassey didn't, this wasn't her song. Mm. And that's a, that's a thing. Cause doesn't Shirley Bassey also do Moonraker? Yeah, she did. That was her last one, I think. Well, I mean, she did the Quantum of Solace song and they chose not to do it. Oh yeah. Because they are absolute geniuses. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, oh, speaking of Quantum of Solace, our favorite. We keep bringing it up in every single discussion. Yeah, we bring but it up we every time we this talk. Case, yeah, we have to in this case because there's a pretty big homage to Goldfinger in it. In Quantum of Solace? Yeah, remember the girl on the bed covered in oil? No. You oh, don't? I don't. Oh, Oh, you see, I that was confused had... because I was in between the uh, water fight and the fire fight. Oh, yeah. Okay. Remember, it's four elements. Yes. <laughs> and in what order they go in the film. <laughs> Just wait until we get to Quantum of Solace, the, the review, and we'll be out of jokes. Yeah. <laughs> we are out of jokes before the film before the discussion even begins. But yeah, Mark Foster, creative genius and director of Quantum of Solace, decided to, you know, make a little reference to Goldfinger. A dead woman in Bond's bedroom, lying on the bed, covered in oil instead of gold. Yeah, the one that he's um, having sex with after the love of... an hour, like, after the love of his life has died. Yeah. And she's named Strawberry Fields. Yeah, when I I don't want to talk about quantum souls. All right, just to mention this little reference. Can we talk? Well, first of all, I want to finish wrap up our discussion of Goldfinger with saying that I love that Goldfinger gets sucked out the window of a plane. Yes, that's awesome. That makes so, me, because that makes me laugh yeah, so much. <laughs> his Gerd Fröbe's face when he gets sucked out. Is so amazing. Okay, I have a question for you. Yeah. Have you ever seen Alien Resurrection? Oh, I think so. When I was younger, but I never wanted to watch it again. Do you remember when the the Ripley's clone alien <gasps> yes! child gets ripped out? <laughs> Which is funnier? That's a good question because the the alien in Resurrection gets sucked out. You know. The crotch. And his yeah. guts get ripped out and stuff. Yes. But with Get Frobe is this big fat German dude getting sucked out of an airplane window. And he it's looked like he's stuck for a second in the window. It's it's both very funny. I would I would go with Goldfinger. You know you know what the I, Alien I Resurrection was? It's a combination of Goldfinger's death and the death in, of the main villain in uh Live and Let Die, who was Yafayette Koda, who was an alien. Oh, great connection. There Rest we... in peace, Yafayette Koda, by the way. He passed away this week. What? Oh, yes. man. I love... Sorry, you have to learn it this way. He's one of my favorite. Uh, I Every time I'd find him in a movie, I'd be like, yeah, it's good to see him in there. That's a shame. Yeah. Really? Can't wait to talk about him in Live and Let Die. It's one of the I only things there. I'm looking forward to when we talk about Live and Let Die. <laughs> yeah, but Goldfinger, overall, as a bad guy, I think he's great. I think he's a good yeah. villain. Yeah. I, pref I prefer Doctor No and Red Grand still. Yeah. Um, I appreciate there was something different. Yes. Yeah, that's true. But I would say... Dr. No and Red Grant are more like cold-blooded and menacing, which Goldfinger is definitely villainous, mm -hmm. but a little bit more playful, I would say, is the word. 
Yeah, he's a little more sadistically playful. Yeah, like the scene when he kills the American, the mafioso guys, which is a big plot hole because I don't understand why he needs to tell them his plan if he's going to kill them all anyway. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. It's neat. It's a neat yeah. set. It was to show off their budget. Oh yeah, with with the scene that goes on forever. With the worst dialogue for American gangsters ever. Hey, they just point hey, out. What do you do with that trick pool table? Hey. It's like they were all the fawns before the fawns yeah. came out. What, what, what's the map doing there, huh? It's... You owe me a million bucks. It's just the worst. You know, where they're you, know all... what's, you know what's funny? In later films, I think even in Diamonds Are Forever it was, when they brought in American gangster characters, they especially said they needed... American scriptwriters to come in and help out with the dialogue because British people can't write this stuff. <laughs> they were right. Yeah. Um... Which which also reminds me, a large portion of this film is set in Kentucky. Yes. We see Felix Leiter the most in this film eating at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mm-hmm. Because I guess the British people filming this, they were amazed that there was a place called Kentucky Fried Chicken. Wow! <laughs> and it's like, that's also a problem I have with the film. With the locations in general. Like, okay, the Miami stuff at the beginning. Eh, okay. It's not it's not working, but okay. The Switzerland but stuff's kind of bland. The Swiss stuff... Yeah. The scene when Bond is following Goldfinger and Goldfinger stops and he's buying something to eat from the stand on the street, like that looks good. Yeah. But it's not like. I think Terrence Young as a director is just better with locations, like mm-hmm. really showing it. Yeah. I, I don't know. It was. It was an, it's an interesting movie. It's worth your time. Oh, definitely. Um. I would, okay, to wrap it up, Goldfinger is a great film. It hits all the boxes. It set the standard for future Bond films. If it should have, it's debatable. Because, like, I, we too we prefer the grounded level of Dr. No and From Russia With Love. But this is still a great film. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say it's overrated. I think it deserves its status as a great Bond film, definitely. But there's, there are just little problems that I have with it, and I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a solid film to watch. It's not my favorite, but I get why people love this film. Mm-hmm. And I get why people don't love this film. <laughs> yep. Um, can we talk about Trigger Mortis? Oh yeah, Definitely. Because so you haven't read it, right? No, I just bought it, actually. Nice. I found it in hardcover. Hmm. So, I read it recently so in it... preparation for this discussion because I wanted to bring it up. I was curious how much of a sequel it was going to be. Also, it should be noted, this book came out in our lifetime, definitely, in recent years. Oh, yeah, I think 2015-ish? Yes, I want to say Something. it came out before Spectre. Hmm. Um, and it's Anthony Howitz who also wrote Devil May Care. He only wrote two Bond books. Oh, no, he actually wrote later on, 2017 or 18, he wrote Forever and a Day. Oh, that's right, he did. Yeah. He... Devil May Care was written by Sebastian Fox oh, as Ian right. Fleming for some reason. Well, I mean, John Gardner wrote as Ian Fleming. Did he? Yeah. Yeah, in America, that's how they're released. I'm almost certain of it. Oh. Huh. Well, he, that's it's Ian Fleming's Bond by John Gardner, you know, that sort of thing. Oh, but with Devil May Care, it literally says Sebastian Fox as Ian Fleming. Oh, that was what? probably a marketing thing because it'd been a while since we had a Bond book come out. Yeah, I think it was an anniversary thing, Devil May Care. But yeah, Trigger Mortis. So, okay, for anyone curious, if it works as a standalone, how much it works as a sequel, the big thing 
it takes from Goldfinger is that Pussy Galore is in it. Because I guess Anthony Horowitz was like a big fan of her character for some reason. Okay, fair I, enough. I mean, Bond made her straight. Which is quite an achievement. Book, yeah. Which is, uh, we didn't really touch upon that. Yeah. Yeah, that, no. Literally, Noah was like, Jeremy, I need to tell you about this before I went in. <laughs> and when Noah, yeah, just, when Noah. Pre- just so that you are prepared. When Noah warns me, because Noah didn't warn me about Spy Who Loved Me. Nope, you needed to experience that for yourself. Yeah, but but I appreciate you did prepare me, because I, I, I'll be honest, I was not prepared for the terminology in Live and Let Die, and I think I mm. told you that. And then you're like, oh yeah, this this one is when Bond makes a, a lesbian woman straight. And I'm like, oh, oh really? <laughs> Yeah. yeah yeah because he can't he can't get tilly so he hooks up with pussy galore yes that's how i interpret it because uh, i don't want to go too much in depth with what fleming writes here but he's basically saying oh lesbian women are just confused because they never had a real man in and their life literally this is brought up in either because he common he does some commentary in Diamonds Are Forever when we get to that in a few episodes we'll discuss it because mi- two of the villains Mr. Wit and Mr. Kid are uh, are gay and uh, Fleming's whole thing it's I it's either in Diamonds or it's in Goldfinger is that these people are just confused because I guess that was the what people thought in the fifties. Or maybe just what Fleming thought. Oh, it's definitely all of these things are what Fleming's ideology is throughout. Yes, like his hatred for Russians. His hatred for Russians, his white superiority, especially, and all of that stuff is fun. But it's and this is why when we do these review these uh, discussions, I put it at the beginning because like. Especially, I didn't realize... Well, first of all, I started to realize something was weird because in Barnes & Noble, they don't stock Fleming books anymore. Oh. At all. You can never find them new uh, at Barnes & Noble. I'm like, huh, that's peculiar. Because you really don't get that in Casino Royale. You you get that Bond Bond has has a misogynistic thing to him, but it comes off as super naive in Casino. Mm-hmm. In, in, in Casino, you know, the um, the Joe Pesci film. Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci film that Ian Fleming obviously wrote. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah. when you get into Live and Let Die, this is when people have problems. And I see it all the time on Goodreads, where people are like, these books are so dated and offensive. And I always defend it with, that's part of the time period. Yeah. And you it's, have to... it's a sign of the times and it's a char- it has a charm to it. And like what do they expect from a book written in the 50s that deals with like the the black people in New York mm-hmm. with criminals? Like what do you expect? And yeah, we'll we'll talk about that more and when we talk about live and let die. Yes. Because we talked about it a bit in Dr. No. Hmm? Um, but we'll get... Oh, this reminds me of something regarding Goldfinger. Hmm. I forgot to mention. Speaking of Dr. No, where, he's, you know, where we have the Chinese people. Yes. Goldfinger in the book is like in league with Smash, the Russian... You know. He pays them, yes. Uh, he's the, he runs their money. Which is the, this is the last time we really deal with Smash. Yeah, which is a shame. Yeah, I was really dis- We'll talk about it more next episode. Mm-hmm. That's that's the nail in the coffin for Smash, and it's kind of a whimper. Yeah, I mean, I can still talk about Trigger Mortis because they show up. What? Oh yeah. Oh, is that? But wait what- for it. Wait for it. My point. In the movie, Goldfinger seems to be working on his own, which he does. There's no no smirch in the films, obviously, no Spectre in this one. But 
he works with the Chinese people. Well, he works with Koreans. No, 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 not with the Koreans. Bond specifically mentions to Goldfinger that he works with Red China. Oh. Oh, that's right. Because there's this one guy with, he walks with him through the factory. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, and they work together and they gave him a bomb, I think. Mm -hmm. They gave him the bomb. So that's interesting because the Bond producers never wanted to offend the Russians. Mm-hmm. But the Chinese people, they were like, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. That, that that has to do with, I think, the American... Some of this stuff... There are Americans involved in these films. And at the time, this would have been the early 60s, America had fought... Indirectly fought China in the Korean War. Hmm. So there was some anti-Chinese sentiment still from that because we uh i don't want we're getting into the weeds here but like china backed well the people's republic of china backed north korea in that war Mm. which wasn't even a war it was a policing action because there's a way of actually declaring war in america and a lot of presidents don't actually do that this was the president that start that started that, but I digress. But yeah, go go on talking about the trigger mortis. Okay, so the thing with trigger mortis is Pussy Galore is in like the first hundred pages. She and Bond live together in his apartment in London for a while. I think the story begins like two weeks after Goldfinger, the book, and eventually Bond gets assigned to a new mission. And this mission is really completely standalone. It's against Smash. And I don't know what nationality the bad guy had. I think he's Korean. Hmm. He's called like Jason Sin. Hmm. And it's a fun story. He's basically planning 9-11 in the 60s. Oh. Yeah. He's But not with like planes and stuff. But he wants to destroy like a large portion of New York with, I think he, with bombs underground on a train. Oh, okay. Yeah. That would do it. Yeah. And I think the whole pussy girl thing was kind of pointless. Like she's there. Okay. And then there's one scene which leads to her exiting the story and Bond's life where she gets kidnapped by two I guess, former henchmen of Goldfinger. They bring her to like a Stonehenge-esque place, strip her naked and paint her in gold to try trying to kill her and avenge Goldfinger, I guess. Oh, that's... that's and Bond, Bond stops them. That's and then awesome. Pussy has enough and she returns to New York. Okay. And I was like, okay... I'm sorry, that's too much fan fiction-y shit here. Yeah, that sounds stupid. Um, yeah, which is a shame because the rest of the book is really damn good. But this is like, you could tell the author was a big fan of Goldfinger and Pussy and he just wanted to bring it in, but a little bit too much. Interesting. Um, I'm reading on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, yeah, you told me about it. Yeah, it doesn't work for me. Why, uh, may I ask, specifically? Is it something about the story? Or... So I'm at the point where Bond's uh, is you know, undercover in the Alps with um, Blofeld, and he's with all those young girls, young girls, young women that... Yeah. And he's sleeping with one of them and stuff. It's the st- same thing that doesn't work for me in the movie because he's supposed to be in love with Teresa is her name. Yeah. But I don't get the appeal. Hmm. I got Vespa. Like, that made sense to me. Honestly, Teresa's she's a fine Bond girl. I don't... 
understand the the marriage angle thing of why he would even agree to do it. Hmm. I mean, is he that desperate for Blofeld? I don't know. You're you're also talking. I haven't finished the book. Oh, okay. Uh, because it has nothing to do with Blofeld, really. It's really just Bond falling in love with her. Well, because I haven't even gotten to that. Huh. He's he's just been up there. He thinks about her occasionally, and I'm just like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. That's that's weird. I. But. I'm also still suffering from the spy who loved me. Oh yeah, that was oh. hor- that was horrendous. Which is weird because I was thinking if you hated Spy Who Loved Me, you're probably gonna love Majesties, since well, I I, I, I love Thunderball, yeah. and we'll talk about that next episode. All uh, right, because I think Majesties is like one of the best written Fleming books. Some of it, yeah, is yeah. Um, I like the whole I like the whole setup for it, but I'm just like I'm in it. I'm just like, eh, it's okay, it's fine. I don't. It's not terrible. I'm not hating it. It's just some of it I don't get. Um, All right. I'm worried though because you of uh, you only live twice. Oh. I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried that I'm going to be irritated. <laughs> by, Ooh. by the end of this, and, and I'm going to be like, no, no. Why is this like this? Oh boy. Well, just know the story is basically the same. Like in OHMSS, it's basically the same story in film and book. Mm-hmm. So you basically know what to expect. You only live twice. Many people don't like, and I guess this is a slight spoiler, but it might. You only live twice might be my favorite Fleming book. You've said that to me before. Yeah. Um... Okay. But re- it is divisive because the first half of You Only Live Twice is really just a travelogue about how much Fleming enjoyed his time in Japan. But yeah. I think he does great job with Bond as a character in it. And the final showdown with Blofeld is awesome. Okay. Like, I, I can guarantee you it's better than Diamonds Are Forever, the end fight with Blofeld, or Bond throwing Blofeld down a chimney. Oh, and uh, for your eyes only. What an epic way to go out. Uh, Did you know he was played by Lobot in that scene? Was he really? I didn't know that. Yes, that was the same actor, but not the same voice. um, I was watching this on... um, This is the last thing before we end this recording, because I'm really tired. Um, All right. When... uh, I first saw On Her Majesty's Secret Service. I watched it on Spike TV had the rights to it at the time. I do believe that was the network. Um, Then after that, it opened with For Your Eyes Only. Oh. And it it worked really well as Bond getting his revenge on Blofeld. (laughs) What Diamonds Are Forever should have been. Yeah. Just throwing him down a chimney. (laughs) Oh gosh, it's so Roger Moore. Yeah. I am I'm a little worried about rewatching these Roger Moore films. Well, I would say they are mostly going to be fun. Mostly. Yeah. Cuz we've been watching good films. We don't have yeah. very many left before we get into camp material. Yeah. that's why why i say the 60s were the golden age all i have to say noah is it's a long ways from on her majesty's secret service to living daylights yeah it's gonna be a year oof that's a year i mean there's nothing against roger moore there's good stuff it's not roger moore I want to make this clear, though, before we leave, because we, we, we're crapping on Roger Moore right now, and we crap on Daniel Craig all the time. It's not these actors' faults that the films are like this. Yes, and I want to make clear, Roger Moore is always the best part of his films. Oh, yeah. 
like he's very charismatic he's great in it he's... Uh, daniel craig is another topic daniel which we the... don't need to get get into that's that's not daniel craig's fault i don't yeah. think oh yeah that's that's the jason Bourne influence a little bit yeah, is that what we tackle next in the in this podcast after we run out of Bond films? Yeah, and then <laughs> on to Mission Impossible, and then Austin Powers. Actually, I did think we should do Austin Powers <laughs> because we're going to be uh, we're going to cover Casino Royale sixty seven in a couple of years. Oh, great! The best Casino Royale is it. Uh, no, I would say, I would say the Daniel Craig film, then the nineteen fifty four version, and then the spoof Casino Royale. Well, I think we should sign off for tonight. All right. So that was Goldfinger and a little bit random stuff. Yeah, and talking about Trigger Mortis because I wanted to cover that. Eventually, I think oh, yeah. we'll. I, I think we'll tackle these, the Gardner books and the stuff like that eventually on here. Oh yeah, sure. And then we'll talk about Trigger Mortis again in more detail. Oh yeah, fine. The Gardner stuff is going to be fun. That will make Roger Moore look like Sean Connery. Yeah. Oof. Now you're getting me worried on this. So many worries <laughs> in this podcast. Anyway, guys, have a good day. Goodbye.